This is Filtered Through Fiction, where we look at life through the lens of our favorite fiction. This week, what we're calling part four. (laughs) Part four, which is actually part two. I know. Which is actually section. (laughs) Installment four. Yeah. yeah. We're just going to thesaurus the shit out of part, section, session, Uh uh installment, and that will... That will be our shtick mm-hmm. for <laughs> the Wicked season. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so part four of Wicked, episode four of Wicked. There you go. Where Episodes. we cover part two mm-hmm. of the book. Yes. Gillikin. Yes. yes. Gillikin. Mm-hmm. Gillikin. Okay. And I guess what we'll call chapter one, Galinda. Not Glinda. Galinda. Galinda. Three syllables. Which... I'm earmarking for later because we all know her as Glinda. Uh-huh. And initially she corrects people because she doesn't want to lose connection with that. Mm-hmm. And later she is called Glinda. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm putting a pin in that. <laughs> and we're going to call back at whatever point this shows back up. I'll be like, just remember these two words, my friend. Lost your roots. Performative allyship. Okay. Yes. Mm. We'll talk. We'll talk about Miss Galinda slash Glinda. Morals. <laughs> uh-huh. And her morals. Yep. Uh, <laughs> performative allyship. I am writing it down. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying it's gonna it's gonna be a thing we discuss. Performative out today or at no, some point? When we get to the oh, okay. Glinda. Glinda. Not Glinda. Glinda. There's a lot of um very important enunciating that's gonna start happening in yeah. this book. Yeah. I don't know how you properly enunciate a capital letter. I know. I need to know how they do. In this world they <laughs> properly enunciate a capital letter so yeah i think i'm gonna have to be like goat <laughs> yeah. versus goat yes but or i don't know <laughs> i know i don't know i don't know how they do it i don't want to constantly be like capital g goat capital b boar or whatever mm-hmm. so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to brainstorm that basically if it talks it's a capital yeah if it's got a spirit or a life which it's I'm a capital like, what does that mean? I, I think this book is just leaving me with a lot of questions. Oh, man. We're still so close to the beginning of this book. I know. <laughs> um, anyway. Anywho, shall we recap? Now that we've talked about a lot of things that people who haven't read it have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's clue them in, eh? 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 All right. So this, yeah. So this section of the book is Gillikin. This chapter of the book is Galinda, and then Galinda has four sections. So we're not sure how much we're going to cover in this episode. Right. But I'm going to recap all four. Yeah. um, The plan is is to recap all four. And then we're going to talk. Probably for a long time. Mm -hmm. We we have toyed with the idea that this might have to be two episodes. And then we'll just put full recaps in both, just in case. 
Sure. If if we go into two. Yeah. That's what we'll do. Got some things to say. So. Yeah. I bet, I bet you do. <laughs> and I as well. So here we go. Gillikin. Galinda. Part one. Galinda comes from the rural mountain area of Gillikin where Lurlinism is the religion of choice, and Galinda is another one of these distant relatives of some type of important political figure. Uh, due to her, to an accident, her minder, a.k.a. adult babysitter, Ama Clutch, is delayed, and Galinda is unchaperoned on the train to Shiz University, sharing her train compartment with a goat. Capital G, Dr. Dillamond. He tries to engage a conversation with her about an animal rights. Animal with a capital A. This is significant. We'll talk about it. Um, wherein she makes pretty clear her racism slash classism and then disengages from the conversation. <laughs> I, I am disinclined to know you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we learn that we should enunciate the capital letters of the animals. And um, Dr. Dillamond helps... Galinda get to her dorm because he's a good guy and she sucks. Um, she admires the architecture. We meet Madame Morable, who introduces herself and then gives room assignments. Beautiful Galinda is assigned a hatchet-faced girl with putrescent green skin and long, foreign-looking black hair. Yes, it is our friend, Miss Alphaba. Who we love. We do. I'm Team Alphaba. Same. I'm going to I'm going to talk about a way in which she's the OG. Okay. So, in part 2, Ama Clutch arrives and regardless of Galinda's objections, happily takes on the task of being Ama to Alphaba as well. Um, Morable and Galinda form kind of some weird unspoken alliance maybe against Alphaba. It's a very yeah, very interesting little conversation they have. Um, we see our first TikTok creature, a little mechanical man, a.k.a. robot. Galinda doesn't like it. Um, Galinda makes friends with the, quote, better girls. And then the gossip starts. We find out Galinda does, in fact, think she knows everything and therefore has come has to come to terms with the actual learning part of university life rather than just enjoying the social life. We see some tension between Lurlinism and the wizard rule. We, Amma's going to a pleasure faith meeting. Lots of the political undercurrent yeah. stuff happening in this chapter. Alphaba and Galinda get to know each other better. Uh, a storm breaks their window, which they have to fix together. And then they try on hats and discuss whether evil is a thing. You know, typical freshman dorm conversations. Good, evil, power. And those too weak to seek it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sounding sounding familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, Galinda says Alphaba is pretty with her hat on and participates in the conversation enough to actually do a little of her own thinking, but then ruins it the next day by telling her friends how ugly Alphaba looked and making fun of her behind her back. I believe the note I wrote down at that point was... Galinda is the fucking worst. (laughs) That's also the text you sent me, I believe. (laughs) Uh, Well, I would, I would argue 
that Galinda is not the fucking worst. She probably isn't. It's In probably going to be horrible. <laughs> it's a woman whose name rhymes with horrible. <laughs> yeah. Madam fucking horrible. Yeah. This bitch. This bitch. Okay, so part three. Morrible hosts a poetry reading with some of the boys from the boys' colleges and their professors. Their professors are human. The girls get animal. Animal. There you go. That's how I'm going to pronounce that. Animal. Animal professors. A.K.A. lesser, basically. Right. The, women, the girls get lesser professors. Um, but these poems that Morrible reads have propagandist messages in them that cause quite a ruckus with the animal attendees, um, as well as a few of the humans, like Miss Alphaba. Bach introduces himself to the ladies. We find out he is the son of Buffy, the mayor of Rush Margins, and was also watched by Gonette as a child, and he remembers Alphaba from their time as children together. He calls her Miss Elfie. He reminisces. She's super mean to him and rushes off. Uh, Galinda has a little bit of empathy towards Alphaba in that moment and tolerates Bach's company long enough for a cup of tea. Next day, Dr. Dilliman reveals that the wizard has enacted animal mobility bans, restricting animals from travel, lodging, public services, and, as they come of age, even from working in the public sector, pushing them to farm work if they want to make a living. Um, Alphaba debates Morrible about the poems being quote-unquote ironic. And finally, section four, it's now second semester. Morrible encourages Galinda to declare her major. She pushes for sorcery for Galinda and says that if she does, maybe she'll find her a new roommate for next year. She tells Galinda that Alphaba is leaning towards the natural sciences anyway, and there's also the fact that her sister will be coming soon. Morrible makes vague, catty remarks about the sister, leaving Galinda with more questions than answers. Like me with this book. <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely a lot of buildup happening. Yeah. A lot of background information beautiful, going on. Beautiful job on that recap. Yeah, did I do okay? You did great. All right. Yay me. Woot, 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 woot. Shall we get into it? Yes, please. Oh man, so much. Yeah, so much. This is a this is a loaded book, and I know it's loaded on oh, purpose. Yeah. I mean, I understand that, but it's fucking loaded. There's <laughs> just so much. <laughs> it's interesting because I was just in a comment section on a social media that shall not be named, and there was a discussion going on about the new Cruella movie huh. um, on Disney Plus and in theaters now. <laughs> <laughs> At the time of this recording. It'll still be in theaters when this goes to air. Um, anyway, there was this real angry, angry person in the comments. Well, many of them actually that were like, quit humanizing the villains. They're villains for a reason. And Next thing you know, we're going to have a Disney movie about the hunter that killed Bambi's mother. And we're going to be empathetic towards them by the time we're done. Da, 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 da. And I, I really wanted to punch somebody. Because I really, really like the humanizing of the villains. Yeah. I really, really like seeing like how they got to be how they are. Sure. And like we watched Cruella. 
and it's fucking brilliant. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Everything made so much sense. Mm-hmm. And BT dubs, she's not a puppy killer, so you can watch it. Okay, I'll watch it then. It's going to be okay. It's a it's all a misconception. <laughs> <sighs> Anywho, this is why I love this book because there is just so much where you're like, "Oh, Galinda the good witch?" You mean she's not purely good? There's maybe some shittiness about her? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Let's get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. That was my intro for you to start ripping into Galinda. But if you're not ready to (laughs) go for that yet, then. (laughs) Um, I think there is a lot, well, through the whole chapter, but even in this first section, just a lot that um, bothered me. Uh Uh, with Galinda, I think one of the one of the first things that stood out more so than any of the others were uh, was where it talks about so she has looked away and is trying to avoid eye contact with the goat, um, and I think he's sleeping at this point, yeah. but. She is looking out of the windows and she sees her own reflection and it talks about she has the nearsightedness of youth. And it says she reasoned that because she was beautiful, she was significant. Though what she signified and to whom was not clear to her yet. And then, you know, it goes into a lot of description about her and like the things that make her beautiful. And... As an afterthought and like her own thoughts about herself, it it does address the fact that she's also smart in some way because she has made it into this, you know, college, the this school of shiz. And that, um, you know, she obviously has, it says she has academic inclinations and that she obviously has some level of intelligence that is good enough to get her into a school. I I don't know if Gillikin is anything like Rush Margins. I mean, we do see in Rush Margins that women, I mean, they don't even want female babies and women are um, not valued in any way. But it was just disheartening <laughs> to see that idea that the significance is in beauty only the significance is and what she brings to the table in terms of style not substance Mm -hmm. and that the the smart piece of it was just well here's here's an added benefit but what I'm really gonna what I'm really gonna use and we see the way she wields that (laughs) maybe not as a weapon but the way she wields her beauty I mean, she, like, I don't think she's even at school at all when it comes to intelligence and learning and being smart. And it talks about there's more than one way to be smart. And we really see the way she's smart. Like, it is a street smarts manipulation type of um, sense that she has. But, like, and I'm not saying that the beauty piece of it is bad or anything like that. Um it's just like, but you're more than that. And to see it go unrecognized and unappreciated in the actual person mm-hmm. <laughs> who who possesses that intelligence is 
it's annoying. Yeah. And disheartening. Yeah. It's like the filter she, she puts everything through yeah. is beauty. Everything she sees, every person she sees, it all, the first thing she sees is what they're wearing, is what color their hair is. Yeah. She notices their height. You know, yeah. when she first meets Alphaba, it's like, you're a munchkin lander. I thought they were all Short, diminutive, yeah. diminutive little things, yeah. you know, like she very much has a mental picture of what beauty is yeah. and that is what she's looking for in every interaction. Yeah. Everything really comes down to appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it even talks about how in the very, very beginning, I think actually for me on the first page of the chapter, how she is, it's not necessarily that she is well-traveled. She just wants to give the appearance of having been Mm well-traveled. And the fact that she's, she tries to come up with phrases that make her seem, um, I wouldn't say smart or witty or learned or anything, but like clever. And it's just that whole, it's like the Pinterest quote, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, versus having anything of any real substance. Depth. Like rather, yeah, ha- rather than actually be traveled and go experiencing and go learning things, she just wants to give off the impression and the appearance that she has. Yeah, she her the impression that you get of her, especially in this early section, this early first couple of chapters or sections about her is I I don't know how to stereotype like not stereotype yeah (laughs) but like yeah she's not at the university for the aspect of learning she's there because she's the first girl from her town or from her like region to be accepted at shiz but she doesn't have any personal desire to actually think yeah in multiple conversations in multiple parts of this there's like these different people trying to like offer her opportunities to think for herself Mm -hmm. and she just is like shuts them down or says something very trite that's just like oh okay cool whatever you know and just Mm -hmm. she just has no interest in thinking for herself and I think there's going to be a character arch that you're going to get to see from her. But for now, this is, yeah, this Galinda is the fucking worst. (laughs) I mean, she's the, she is the stereotypical, like, and I hate to say it, but like the pretty dumb girl, Yeah, you know, that's just like gets everything because she's pretty and knows the right thing to say. Like her entrance exam, she quoted excessively from the Aussie yeah. Well, if your university is near Emerald City and is highly influenced by the wizard, your entrance exam being full of quotes from the wizard's like holy book yeah. is probably going to help you get in. Yeah. You know, she knows the right things to say and she knows how to charm people. Mm-hmm. That's her kind of smart. Yeah, she's she's definitely got that skill of Yeah. I mean, it. I think it ends up coming down, I mean, to manipulation, mm-hmm. knowing the right way to manipulate a circumstance or a situation to benefit the most out of it, get the greatest amount of good for herself and give herself, I think she's really skilled at gaining an advantage, mm-hmm. really is what I 
I think she's super skilled at. Right. Well, and we see it in, so we see it in this chapter when she flat out lies to Morrible about why her ama isn't there. (laughs) Basically the room assignments get figured out by the amas and because she let hers stay and actually get surgery to fix her foot from having a nail stuck in it, her ama wasn't there. So she doesn't get a good room assignment. She's supposed to go live in like a 15 person dorm. And I mean, she's not having that. She she is not having that. I mean, she really thought she was going to have her own room, but to even share with one roommate, she has this quick on her feet. She's quick thinking and she flat out lies to Morrible and says that her, her ama wouldn't (laughs) be able to take care of 15 girls. Yeah maybe just one she could handle. And so that's how she ends up getting paired with Alphaba because they have kind of similar pedigrees. Yeah. And Alphaba doesn't have an ama, so it would be beneficial to her to have one to look over to help watch over her. So that's why Morable puts them together. But then come to but find out. But also yeah. why else does Morable put oh. them together? Oh, Morable. Like my very last note, and I mean, my very last note of this full chapter, which we don't have to get into right now. I'm just saying, like, to this point, it says, Madame Morrible, dangerous, what is her end game? Yeah. <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So we've got, we've been teamed up into into a room with Galinda and Alphaba. And, I mean, do you also have a moment where, like you say, I'm a clutch, and it's like, I'm a clutch this to my chest. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I need to know all the Amas' names so I can, you know, okay, have fun with their names. I watch The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. And all I can think about are the Marthas. Oh. Like, because they're, you know, the kind of the ones taking care of the household duties. Yeah. And, you know, and so all I can think of is the Marthas. May the Lord open. <laughs> <laughs> Blessed be. We've been sent good weather. <laughs> In his eye. Uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's all I could think of when I see the Amas is yeah. that they're the Marthas. And anyway, that's all. At least they're not yeah. as bad as the ants. But anywho, yeah, the the manipulation and the lies... And I think Madame Morrible knows it and likes it. Yeah. Because there's a line that it says, um, Galinda, it's the she is Galinda. She was lying as fast as she could and better than Madame Morrible, who seemed at least intrigued. And it's like, they both know they're lying. They both know that they have this manipulative behavior and they kind of like it in each other. Yeah. Or at least Morrible likes it in Galinda and Galinda's just still trying to get her way. So. I am curious what that means down the road because I clearly don't remember anything from having read this. <laughs> I'm like, nope, don't remember. Don't remember this. Don't remember this. But um, uh, it is like in that moment, it's like is some sort of like really fucked up alliance forming right now or is it more so grooming? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was like, I think Morrible sees a potential in Galinda. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess this is like 
prediction hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that she's pushing her into sorcery and that she's driving a wedge between Alphaba and Galinda. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, you have something up your sleeve. And I think I I don't think I had the word grooming come to mind, but I was like, she's she's prepping her for something. Yeah. She's I mean, pushing her in a direction. Galinda's 17. She's not a child, but in right? this society, and I think it is, it's definitely rush rush margins and also where um, in Frotica in yeah. Gillikin where Galinda's from because she's the first girl to be accepted yeah. at Shiz. Even at Shiz, Shiz is the university and then there's separate colleges for the boys and the girls. Right. And like we said, the boys have the better professors, the human professors. So this treatment of women is the whole country. It's a national thing. Okay. And so even if Galinda is 17... And in some societies would be considered full adult, consenting, whatever, you know, able to buy all the things and serve in all the militaries and whatever. In this society, I think even if those, you know, allowed to do things are allowed, Mm -hmm. I don't think they're the females in that age group are as aware of what's going on around them because of the way that they're treated as less than. Yeah. And, you know, again, we find that in later chapters too, just in what they're, what's going on in the outside world and they don't know about it. Yeah. And on top of all of that, Galinda has proven that she has no desire to think for herself. Yeah. And I mean, we said it previously in um, our Harry Potter series, like the, I, the way to cut somebody out, the way to cut somebody off from their sense of power is definitely to just cut them off from their sense of self. And I think Galinda just does that for you. <laughs> I think, I think Mora will just found somebody who's already so disconnected with that. And it's like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Puppet show. Let's do this. Yeah. And she sees that Galinda has ambition. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious about Morable as well, although I think they definitely would both be portraying a very unhealthy side of it. But hands down, Galinda is a type three in the Enneagram. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think an unhealthy Slytherin. Oh, yeah. Also. My first thought was Slytherin and not type three. I was like, she is... She is a stereotypical yes. Slytherin. Yes. And I say that wearing my Slytherin you shirt are. today. I know. So. And that's why I said an unhealthy <laughs> Slytherin because we all still love Merlin and it's fine. And you. Yes. I was the like, two Slytherin I'm sorry. I- <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, yeah. And my daughter. I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, no, the three for sure. There was a couple of moments that I noticed um, in the next section, I think that are three moments for me that I was like, oh, yeah, I can yeah. definitely see this. Um, is there anything else in the first part that... Um, I think this is just where we... This is our first look at the classism mm-hmm. and that systemic... The beginning of a systemic classism, racism, I think we could yeah. technically say breedism yeah. at this point um, for this story... Uh, in that the goat, Dr. Dr. Delamond, Delamond, 
when he is interacting with Galinda, like getting her to help with his ticket and things like that. And, you know, he's having this conversation with kind of with Galinda, a little bit with the conductor where the conductor calls him a beast. You know, he's like, you're the rare beast that can afford to travel first class. And, you know, he objects to the term beast Mm -hmm. and, and he alludes to the laws still allow my traveling in first class, I presume. And the conductor just like kind of blows him off with the money's money. Uh, You know, that's what he tells him. Like money's money, bro. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the goat comes back with like, no, like money's not money. And he talks about how his ticket is double the cost of Galinda's ticket, even though they're sitting in the same, you know, compartment mm-hmm. and how at this point, like we are seeing the way like this travel system has been set up to restrict access severely mm-hmm. um, to animals mm-hmm. and animals alike. And I think Galinda says something along the lines of you've a little later where this conversation continues with the conductor gone. And in this conversation is where she corrects him and says, it's Galinda, mm-hmm. the proper old Gilliganese pronunciation, if you don't mind. So let's all just put a pin in that mm-hmm. and remember it for who knows mm-hmm. how far down the road. Mm-hmm. But... You know, he starts asking her, what do you think of the proposed bans on travel? And essentially, she is not aware of what he's talking about. And then she says something along the lines of, well, you've always enjoyed set or that animals had always enjoyed separate services. And she's talking about animals and not animals. But (laughs) either way, it is that same idea of separate but equal which is bullshit Mm -hmm. like i there's really no such thing as separate but equal because somebody always ends up whoever that might be when we create those divides and separations like separate but equal never really works because somebody always ends up going without Mm -hmm. and i think we are kind of introduced to this proposed idea And how I am sure a lot of the world thinks about it. Like, oh, well, like, you have your own services. And just the ignorance of, well, yeah, separate services. But you have no idea what they actually look like. Like, you, Galinda, have never been back in whatever the animal Mm -hmm. (laughs) travel area might look like. And then we see it a little later in the chapter where these things have been put into effect. Yeah, well, and that she responds to him... Speaking of himself as an animal, mm-hmm. and she responds with, oh, those. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> see the problem. She's, like, speaking mm-hmm. to one of those. Yeah. But, s- like, she she doesn't even realize there's a difference. Yeah. I, I don't know. That line just pissed me off, but <laughs> I don't even know how any equivalent would what an equivalent word or how that would be. I mean, I can see it, I guess with racism, like I can see some old boomer talking to a black man and saying something about like, Oh, you know, those people, blah, blah, blah. And the black man that they're talking to being like, yeah, like me. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, or maybe like somebody mixed race that they don't sure. realize. Or I think it would be really easy to do with a member of the LGBT community. Sure. Honestly, yeah. you know, like um, on the rare occasion, I meet somebody who does not recognize right away as my friend calls me a hundred yarder. <laughs> um, <laughs> rude. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I have had people make comments about the gay community to me either not caring that I am part of that community or not realizing. I'm yeah. like, am, am I, am I, it, is this for life right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I guess something that you don't quite as readily see. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sick of like fighting, but I just feel like everything is that right now. Everything yeah. is like people not recognizing other people for who they are mm -hmm. and not like having empathy and caring. Yeah. You know, it's like, if you're not like me, that's it. The yeah. end. And then I just don't. If you're not like me, then I am disinclined to know you. I'm disinclined <laughs> to know you. Yeah. My, my jaw dropped when I read that. I was like, <laughs> are you kidding? She is uh, something else. She, but is. she's also just, she's honestly a country bumpkin that yeah. just doesn't know. Like, I think that's the other thing that we have to put a pin in our Galinda is the fucking worst <laughs> because we have to give her the opportunity yeah. to grow a little bit. Yeah. That is one of the, like one of the things that as we go through this book, I'm like, I understand this is my opinion right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like the, the Quirrell Snape yeah. thing where we, like where our trio thinks uh, Snape is just like <laughs> the source of all of these issues come to find out it ends up being Quirrell. But like, I, <laughs> I am, I understand how I feel about Galinda in this moment. Yeah. And that this is this is our introduction to her. This is not who we'll know by the end of the book. Yep. And I know it could change. And you're supposed to be yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. You're supposed to be conflicted about Galinda. You're supposed to be conflicted about Elfie. Yeah. Because we've known her as the wicked witch of the West our entire lives. We've known her as the mean cackling witch with the flying monkeys <laughs> that just wants to get Dorothy and her little dog too. Yeah. So seeing any kind of humanized side of her, you're supposed to be like, wait, what? Yeah. You know? So that's definitely, you know, yeah, this is how you're supposed to feel right now. But also like, oh man, it's going to get good. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get good. Should we move to two? Yeah. Um, you mentioned that we think that Galinda is a three and I had a couple of moments in this chapter or this section that really made me feel like, um, you were right that she is a three and one of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in our, we did an Enneagram book club and we talked about how we didn't have a lot of threes in our circles mm -hmm. we didn't know a lot of them and I think it was me but if not I'll take the credit because I think it's brilliant <laughs> said that I don't think threes would be introspective enough to want to do a study on an Enneagram because a threes like pretty 
obvious characteristic is they're pretty performative. They're very yeah. much like find out what the people around them want to see and then yeah. become that. Like I think the book said, like if you boiled them down to a slogan, which like the author addresses, like you can't boil anyone or any type down to a slogan, but it's images everything. Yeah. So <laughs> in this section, um, Galinda and Elphaba are kind of, they're kind of bonding. They're spending yeah. a little bit of dorm room time together during a random storm. And um, Elphaba knocks over some hat boxes. And as she's going to put them away, Galinda's trying to get her to try them on. And Elphaba's having none of it. And yeah. she's like, no, I'll put them away. And she says, oh, put El Glinda. Galinda says, oh, put the damn hat on. Really? <laughs> Said Galinda, for whom... Where introspection was concerned, enough <laughs> was enough. Because <laughs> Elfie's trying to get her to think. Yes. And she doesn't want to. And I love that moment where she's like, see, you're thinking. And yes. she's like, got the biggest smile on her face. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Galinda just wants her to put on the hat and wear pretty things. And Elfa was trying to have like an actual conversation with her. And she says, when it comes to introspection, enough is enough. And I was like, oh, that's my, that's my three right there. <laughs> um, and then also pretty quickly after that, they're still just chatting and, and talking and um, Elphaba's trying to discuss good and evil and Galinda is talking about beauty <laughs> and, it says, Galinda didn't often stop to consider whether she believed in what she said or not. The whole point of conversation was flow. And I was like, that also makes me think of a yeah. three where they're going to kind of say whatever they feel like needs to be said to belong in the moment. Yeah. But they're not really going to consider. Move things along. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think there's some threeness in there for sure. And I think, you know, a healthy three, I was reading about healthy threes to remind me, because I know there's, you know, again, you, you can't boil people down to just a, a slogan or just a... And I think know. ultimately the Enneagram types get stereotyped by some of the more negative aspects yeah. of their type versus the really great aspects of their type <laughs> yeah exactly and that's the thing like the the three is known as the achiever mm -hmm. when they're healthy they really can and do achieve great things in the world yeah like they're the caesar and you know they're the big politicians they're muhammad ali you know they're they're paul Naki. mccartney they're the Thought you were five, friend. Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> Will Smith, Barbara Streisand, like all these hmm. people that are just yeah. very accomplished and yeah. that have achieved a lot in their life are known as in theory as threes. I forgot we were talking about threes and thought we were talking about Slytherins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was talking about threes. Sorry. That's okay. I was like three and not keys. No, you're not a three. I'm curious. I'm gonna have to look at my results and see how high three was or wasn't in my percentages. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, you're good. 
Anyway, they can be big role models. They, if they're, you know, social justice kind of values and morals yeah. align, they can be, you know, really strong, worthy yeah. candidates and successful. Yeah. So, I mean, they're you know, I'm not saying that she's bad for being a three. I'm just not saying at all. she is like, a three. A lot of times they leave a legacy. Yeah. Like it's kind of like the Slytherin quote in my class that like the point isn't to live forever, but it's to create something that does. Yeah. I think that could also be a type three quote. Yeah, for sure. And that's, yeah. And I think that's where, you know, she might be young and she might be a little unhealthy yeah. right now because she's in a new environment and she's not home and comfort, but there is room for growth in that and that, achiever mindset and the success driven mm -hmm. you know i think we can be prepared to see some of that in her so <laughs> watch watch for that since you alluded to the moment where alphaba is the og <laughs> like she's the og filtered through fictioner oh yeah or she is um talking to galinda about the book she's reading and why she's reading it mm -hmm. and how they are in this moment talking about good and evil, whether or not it exists. And, um, initially Glenda <laughs> kind of just blows the conversation off with a, Oh, yawn, what <laughs> she says. And so they're kind of going back and forth on whether or not evil really exists. And, you know, she's asking Galinda, what do you think? And she's like, how do I know what I think? She's like, well, you fucking think it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, she pushes Alphaba, like, why don't you ask your father? Since Alphaba is actually reading a book. On of, unionism. Yeah, yeah. On unionism, which her father was a unionist preacher, minister, bishop, something. And Alphaba replies, my father taught me a lot. He was very well educated indeed. He taught me to read and write and think and more, but not enough. I just think like our teachers here that if ministers are effective, they're good at asking questions to get you to think. I don't think they're supposed to have the answers, not necessarily. Look at all those exclamation points. <laughs> That's like six of them. How Seven. many? Six. Yeah, I think there is. There's six and a yeah. big scribble because Exactly an amen. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. This quote. And I... If ministers are effective, just like our teachers here, yeah. they're good at asking questions to get you to think. Yes. I don't think they're supposed to have the answers. <gasps> yeah. And I actually really love that she said this in in a conversation where they're also talking about faith. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, like, my biggest I guess beef with having grown up very religious was that I, it, there was never this encouragement to think and there was never an encouragement to ask questions I don't think I like I've, I don't think I was ever told not to ask questions but it was definitely never encouraged and just ways I've seen recently um in different areas where I People who are very religious have felt so threatened by simple questions mm -hmm. that um, I, the level of discomfort they are experiencing 
by literally being asked to just consider this, like whether you whether you end on I agree or I disagree, just consider it and how threatened they feel in I won't say faith because I don't think that's faith. Like I think that's chicken shit. Yeah. Like how threatened they feel within their religion is insane to me by just being asked to think. Yep. And that's not every religious person I know. Like I'm I am referencing a very specific couple of people. Yeah. And they are not representatives for all religious people or sure. all spiritual people. But like after getting really um disappointed about it, angry about it, um moving into a place of like that can't be a comfortable life to be thrown into such a place of feeling threatened in what you call your faith just because a question was asked like that's insane to me like that actually makes me sad for them seriously yeah no I that's why I have six exclamation points and a big scribble (laughs) because agreed and agreed with religion, agreed with politics, mm-hmm. agreed with yeah. education. In any place where you're supposed to be the like expert on the subject matter, if you can't handle someone asking a question about what you're talking about without firing back some bullshit fallacy, some straw mm-hmm. man or ad hominem attack on them or blowing them off as not being as smart as you yeah, or blowing them off as not being as well informed about something as you. That's why they're asking. They're yeah. trying to become informed. If, if you are any of those people in any of those positions and yeah. you can't handle that question being asked for any of those reasons, you should not have that position. Agreed. You absolutely should be able to be asked a question. And if your answer is, huh, I've never thought of that. I'm really going to have to look into it. That's okay. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But to make a person asking a question feel dumb for asking it, fuck right off with that. Yeah. (laughs) For making a person feel unimportant or invalid for asking a question, fuck right the fuck off with that one. Like especially in something, and I do, I said, you know, religion, politics, education, but I think religion is probably the hardest one because that is the one that is the most tied into people's emotions and people's mental health with their spiritual health. And so if you bring somebody down or make them feel like any kind of way because they asked a question, you're really doing damage to people. Yeah. And that is probably one of the things that makes me want to punch people the most in life. Not the only thing. Lots of people need punched. Just the most thing. But that's the most thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But look at Alphaba. Dude, she's so fucking smart, man. She's the FTF OG. She is, man. Just think about it. You don't have to have all the answers. Yeah. Also, there is something to say with <laughs> what Galinda's response is. Oh, well, tell that to our boring minister at home. He has all the answers and charges for them, too. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's that kind of church, huh? <laughs> yeah, fun. 
Yeah, yeah, there it is. There's the other quote that I had highlighted that also is the FTF OG. <laughs> um, Galinda says, why would a girl ever be interested in evil? And she says, I'm not interested in it. It's just what the early sermons are all about. So I'm thinking about what they're thinking about. Yeah, That's all. Sometimes they talk about diet and not eating animals. And then I think of that. I just like to think about what I'm reading. Don't you? <laughs> right? What? There we go. There it is right there. I just like to think about what I'm reading. Don't you? Like, I think about what I'm reading. Yeah. I don't love to just read something for no reason and then never think about it again. I want it to have meaning. I want to yeah. know. I want to know what other people think about it. That's why we do this. Yeah. But that's why I read reviews. I read about books before I read them. Do I want to read this book? Is this book going to be relevant in my life? Or is it going to be something that, you know, was relevant 20 years ago and I don't agree with now? And I, it's not really something I want to put myself through at this point in my life. Like, did I read it? 30 years ago and forget that I read it and now I'm reading it again and I'm like oh no I don't want to do that like that's why I have a, a Goodreads where I you know keep track of stuff yeah. so I know if I've read it before <laughs> all of that kind of stuff you know like I like to think about what I'm reading yeah and I like I don't know that it's necessarily a meme but I have seen like a post floating around out there that says like read the books that you love multiple times because who you were when you read that book the first time isn't who you are when you're reading it this time and it will speak to the different stages of your life yeah for sure that's when I, I have this book and a couple others that are very I, I rarely read books multiple times but these books are the ones that I do because they do they just hit different at yeah. different times in life yeah clearly nothing really stuck with me the first time I read it and it's just crazy because I feel like I remember not I think struggling through it is too strong of a phrase to use but I like I remember it felt a little labor intensive like and it was one of those books that just took me a really really long time to read because I'd set it down for who knows how long and then I'd come back to it mm. and it's funny because I'm like man this thing is reading so quickly yeah like, and it's so good I know well that's what's funny too is that I I didn't used to use Goodreads so I don't know when I've read it before I just know that I have read it before mm -hmm. and I can't remember if I've read it once or twice previously but I know the last time I read it was at least 10 12 yeah. Maybe even more years ago. I don't even know. It's been a long ass time. And I had listened to and fallen in love with the musical before I ever read the book. Got you. And I'm like super from, and I've seen the musical five times. So like I have, the, and they are, they follow the same storyline ish, but the musical is much more like Disney-fied, you know, okay. like it's just a lot lighter. Yeah. And so a lot, and obviously... It's a musical made from a, you know, multiple hundred page book, five, five thousand page book. <laughs> no. How many pages is this book? My mine, version. My is... version is a little over 500. Okay. Yeah. Mine's a little over 400. So whatever. Four to 500 page book Yeah. made into a two hour long musical, three hour long musical. It's not yeah. 
doesn't have all these details. And so like the whole first section, our first three episodes weren't in the musical at all. Yeah. yeah. So I have like these moments where I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to happen. And then I'm like, wait, is it, (laughs) is it going to happen like that? Or is it darker? And I don't quite remember. Like there's some things in this book that really stood out to me and I will remember, but a lot of it, I'm like, oh yeah, Yeah. I I don't remember exactly, but I know I loved it. So, and I don't think until we started this, well, I, I did it some on my own prior to this, but I've never really looked. I've certainly never read this book like a text. Right. You know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like with the purpose of finding themes and talking about things that matter. But Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. Well, that's, I mean, I did that with Harry. Yeah. Harry. We're on a first name basis. Harry. Um, Harry Potter. That was my third time through reading mm-hmm. And it was a completely different vibe because I was reading it more like a text. Yeah. So. So thanks to the OG. Yes. I like to think about what I'm reading. Don't you? <laughs> I don't think she likes to think at all. <laughs> Healthy. Um, do you have anything else in two? There is just a lot about evil that they talk about that yeah. is really really interesting um they were talking about like where evil is located what is evil and um one of the theories in this universe is that the original evil was the vacuum caused by the fairy queen lurleen leaving us alone here When goodness removes itself, this is the part that I'm interested in. When goodness removes itself, the space it occupies corrodes and becomes evil and maybe splits apart and multiplies. So every evil thing is a sign of the absence of deity. I don't know if that struck you at all or if that has any... A lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I... Yeah. I mean, even if you take out the deity part, but just goodness. Yeah. And that is definitely musical versus book. Musical is very obvious that this is a story of the difference between goodness and the idea of bad. Okay. It's it's definitely good versus evil, but it's what really is good and what really is yeah. evil and what how manipulation and behind the scenes and what you see on the outside isn't always doesn't always match what's happening. Sure. Okay. Behind the curtain, you know, <laughs> the man behind the curtain. There's like so many things happening. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's really, really obvious in the musical. And maybe that's why this chapter really was like, I was so interested in this conversation is that they're actually talking about it. But that particular theory about evil, that the space that is was once occupied by goodness corrodes and becomes evil. Oh, man, I just... Those are like big brain thoughts. They are big brain thoughts. <laughs> they really are. And how does it relate to right now and people yeah. people around us? You know, when you hear about something bad happening and it was like, oh, man, that person, you, they used to babysit my kids. I can't believe yeah. they would blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like, man, what ha- what did happen? What yeah. flip got, s- what switch got flipped? Or what goodness was removed that this evilness came in and corrupted? And how 
easy is that? <laughs> like, well, and with situations where like it does come down to a choice, like you made a decision that was, you know, quote, the removal of good. And now this space being unoccupied and leaving room for bad or mm -hmm. evil or whatever term you want to use, like, what kind of decision does that look like? Because yeah. <laughs> your mind goes extreme. Like, oh, you killed somebody or, oh, right. like, who knows? I mean, I, I think that's like the worst of the worst, essentially. Like, you choose to harm somebody in some really significant way, like, bodily harm and things like that but like my my all of my existential questions are just <laughs> like in this chaotic spiral right now right because I look at it and I say so it's like uh I look at it and it says when goodness removes itself yeah that's a decision like why would goodness remove itself yeah. like why would goodness whatever we're defining that as choose to pull away from a space and leave it vacant and then it says the space it occupies corrodes and becomes evil. So I'm like, okay, well, what about spaces that were never occupied? Are those just like neutral or like mm -hmm. that? Like my mind just mm -hmm. starts yeah. spinning. And I'm like, okay, I have all these questions, <laughs> which we're not going to be able to answer. No. But um, I just like thinking about what I'm reading. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I feel like, well, and this is I only like one I could theory. Yeah, I mean, I could book. feel like I feel like I could spend hours, yeah, talking about like at really less talking and more asking, like, but does it mean this? But does it mean this? <laughs> uh, or you could just be Galinda and say, "Well, I wouldn't know an evil thing if it fell on me." <laughs> Shut up, Galinda. Seriously. Um, yeah. It also reminded me a little bit of like Voldemort and the Horcruxes. I honestly, how mm. it talked about um, the space it occupies corrodes and becomes evil and maybe splits apart and multiplies. Yeah. And just like that, the way he completely fractioned himself. Mm -hmm. And I, I think our friend Zephyr in the Willow has mentioned this to me and it's something that I've read online or like probably in some Facebook page or something previously but like we think of Voldemort splitting his soul into seven parts but like that's actually like uh, it's there's an exponential factor to it like mm. the first time he makes a horcrux he has split his soul in half mm. so the next time when he splits his soul in half with the second horcrux he's he, he's currently only working with half of what he originally had anyway so you're halving the half Oh, and shit. I think it ends up being, I think, oh, like, was it one 128th yeah. of a soul or something like that when you move into the exponents of all of that division? Yeah. Which, I, I mean, I get we're not here for Harry Potter theories, but when you, when you actually think of that idea of splitting yourself so many times, he didn't have seven pieces of a pie, like equal pieces of yeah. a pie. Yeah, he was down to like, one one twenty eight. Yeah, like each time he is working with, like exponentially in like the literal sense of the word. <laughs> um, Holy shit balls! Like less of his soul. And so when it talks about multiplying, like splitting apart and multiplying, so every evil thing is a sign of the absence of goodness or deity or whatever, whatever term you want to use. Like, 
Yeah, because when these things split and splinter, like it's not like it just doubled. It's like, yeah, this one thing became two, but then those two things became four things, you know, and <laughs> the way That's that... the sound of my head exploding. <laughs> the way that it is so much... I think it just... It's far more invasive than we think it would actually be. Hot damn. I mean, I don't know if that really applies That's to that a quote. Hot take. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's brilliant. And in a way, I get she's being stupid, but in a way, how would she know if an evil thing fell on her since it's so pervasive? Because you're dealing with one 128th of a thing, not the whole thing falling yeah. on you. Well, that's true, too. It's kind of like that whole, like, the greatest trick of the devil was to convince people he didn't exist. It's kind of like that bot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we we are down a road. No, that's <laughs> good. I liked it. <laughs> I like that evil little road we traveled down. <laughs> <laughs> twist our little mustaches. And <laughs> <laughs> I think the only other thing I had other than Galinda is the fucking worst because she does take that moment where her and Elphaba have bonded in a way and then she just uses it. <laughs> it actually is perfect with the moment that I want to talk about because it's a perfect connection to what I want to talk about. But in the beginning, closer to the beginning of the chapter where it talks about <laughs> in the, I think like maybe they're in like a common room or something like that where Galinda and her new friends, Mela, how how are you saying this name? Because I say Fanny. Yeah, Fanny. I say <laughs> Fanny. It's got a P at the beginning, but I'm going with the silent pterodactyl P. Since you won't give me beefy. <laughs> beefy. <laughs> Fanny. Uh, no, I just say Fanny. Mila, Fanny, and Shen Shen. Yes. And they, along with Galinda, are sort of speculating as to Alphaba, what she, like, her past, like, where she comes from, what she's all about. And they are really just assholes who are making yeah. fun of her. She walks in, and the fact that she walks in just makes them laugh all all the more. When she walks in, it says her walking in caused them to escalate into louder roars of laughter. Alphaba did not look over at them, but every other student did glance their way, each girl longing to be included in the jollity, which made the four new friends feel just fine. It's d it's definitely something that uh, Queen BB has written that has resonated with me many times over. And just the idea of, I think, I don't think the four girls look at this as connection. I think they look at this as alliance. But everybody on the outside who's looking in at like these great fits oh, of laughter, best friends. They have look such into good this connection. thinking it's connection. Yeah. But like the queen says, you can't hotwire connection and you can't bond. Essentially, you can't create connection over shit talking. Mm. And she actually uses making fun of Alphaba trying on the hats in that moment that they actually spent together bonding she uses that moment to weaponize and maneuver yep. her way back into this alliance, which just shows 
when you're bonding at somebody else's expense, it is only a matter of time before you become the expense. Yep. That exactly. that they are going to turn, you know, like shit talkers eventually turn on each other and just shit talk one another. Like it happens every time. I really like the idea that alliance is not the same as connection. Yeah. Like alliance is not always, but it is often a it's a power move. Yeah. It's it's completely designed to gain advantage. Yeah. Whereas connection is all about something authentic, something right. real. <laughs> well, and that I think I would argue is what Galinda is like maybe afraid of is real connection yeah. because she did see she was connecting with Alphaba, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh wait, no, uh-uh, that's not going to get me anywhere. Yeah. That's not going to, it's, it's a hundred percent. You're correct. It's an alliance because all those other girls have higher status. Yeah. They're all. They do more for her. Yeah. They can get her higher. So that's what she's looking at. She's not looking at, you know, the really good conversation she actually did have with Galinda or yeah. with Alphaba. But yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. All right. They're. Yeah. Three. Yeah. I really only have like literally one. Oh no, I have two things in three. I have not nothing in four. <laughs> like four was good. Oh and, man, I've got but a, there's only I've got a, a big pages. one in four. Oh, okay. All right. Well, my really quick three thing um, is just another time that Alphaba is like a badass OG. Oh hell yeah! Thinking about thinking and thinking about art, but after Madame Morrible reads all these terrible hideous propagandist poems quells quells which the quarter quell right from hunger games exactly what i thought i was like wait (laughs) what anywho yeah um all i can think of is murder so that's good (laughs) but um galinda's trying to like have a conversation about the poetry like yeah there's boys from the boys colleges there but like that who cares let's talk about the poetry and um Ask, is asking Galinda what 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 she thought, what they meant. Alphaba is asking Galinda. Sorry, I said Galinda again. <laughs> I'm, told, I'm telling you, these names are... <laughs> anyway, Alphaba is using her brain. She wants to have a conversation. She wants to know what Galinda thinks these poems meant, if they were any good. And, you know, Galinda blows her off again, of course. And Alphaba says... Well, your opinion is as good as hers, I think. That's the real power of art, I think. Not to chide, but to provoke challenge. Otherwise, why bother? Yes. Uh, and I love it so much. Like, she's absolutely right. Like, you don't just sit there and listen to a poem that, like, made the animals in the room walk yeah. out of the room. You have to sit and think, like, what just happened? What did we hear? What did they? What did they mean? You know, and then, you know, we find out later that Morrible and, you know, Morrible and Alphaba get in a conversation because she's going to Morrible. Like, what do these mean? What's going on? And yeah. Morrible tries to say that they're ironic. And it's just, <laughs> you know, and she's like, well, Alphaba ain't having it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She just keeps pushing back until she's finally like, OK, I don't think we are on the same page here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just that art 
and literature is art and poetry is art and art is art is meant to make you think. Yeah. The moment, because this is where we hear more about the bans on animal mobility and restrictions to access and things like that. The other moment in chapter three, section three, subsection <laughs> three dot, no, I'm kidding, uh, was Dr. Dilliman's disappointment and what I would say is most likely hurt. Yeah. When he realizes this is a, what I'm going to call a coworker. Yeah. Um, sharing these ideas, sharing you know, what he calls propaganda and just the disappointment, his disappointment in realizing like, Oh, is this how she feels? You know? And yeah. In case you haven't read it, the line that sets him off is a line at the end of the poem that says animals should be seen and not heard. And it means animals or does it? And animals. It's, it's it's ironic. True. It's ironic. So who knows? (laughs) Um, but I, probably shouldn't go into it <laughs> uh, in any any kind of great detail or really much at all, which not trying to be vague, but also, you know, some things you just can't, you can't throw out there, but how um, disarming in the worst way it is when, you know, like coworkers are coworkers. Sure. Um, it's not that you consider them probably anything beyond an acquaintance, but like, oh, we're friendly, like we're very respectful of each other and things like that, like whatever that might look like. I'm like, you're not going and hanging out anytime <laughs> right. after work and stuff like that. It's not, buddy, not anybody that you consider a friend, um, but that real disappointment of finding out that somebody that you thought was pretty cool is completely against who you are as a human like that is that that's disappointing and just disarming in a way that I can't even fully articulate um and I I've seen that you know I've seen that in smaller ways too where it might not be me specifically like whatever that might be and just, I I could feel his disappointment and hurt in that moment to realize, when he realized, oh, like, she is on a platform with definitely some amount of authority and leadership and therefore a voice in this academy, this school. And she's using that platform and that power and that authority and that voice to say... I should be seen and not heard, which means she doesn't think I should be teaching in this college. Mm -hmm. What else is she saying? And just, and we see in for just how much he actually is upset by everything. Yeah. When he talks about when you take what she shared and it's juxtaposed with what is going on in the city and Mm -hmm. the surrounding areas, like that was, Nothing short of a very targeted attack. Yep. I hurt for him in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dr. Gilliman is a saint and I love him. And he does not have a character arc. You just love him from the okay. beginning to the end. I mean, and again, it's like, does she even 
realize what she's saying in front of him and other animals like him you know like does he does she even think about it or is it so ingrained in her brain from you know it it doesn't even compute that that's hurtful that that's harmful to to them i think he's not even a blip on her radar no in that moment yeah in the vein of finding out more disappointing things Mm. uh galinda and morrible are having this conversation where morrible is encouraging galinda to go into sorcery Mm. it could get her a new roommate since alphaba is interested in natural sciences and then galinda is like oh well in that case i'll certainly give a lot of thought to going into sorcery and it says she struggled with unnamed conflicts within her madame morrible for all her upper class diction and fabulous wardrobe seemed just a tad oh dangerous as if her big public smile were composed of the light glancing off knives and lances (laughs) as if her deep voice masked the rumbling of distant explosions. Glenda always felt as if she couldn't see the whole picture. It was disconcerting, and to her credit, at least Glenda felt inside herself the ripping apart of some valuable fabric. Was it integrity? When she sat in Madame Morrible's parlor and drank the perfect tea. (laughs) And, um... Just that str- the un- the conflict was something that she can't name. She can't quite put her finger on it. And how it talks about that feeling like the ripping of an invaluable inner fabric. And she asks in that moment, is this integrity? And um, recently had someone within my circle make some disappointing decisions that affected a a pretty good share of people in that moment I thought of them and how you know they they made a series of decisions I'm assuming over some period of time that certainly sent them down a road of ultimately making a very disheartening decision and all I could think reading that was I wonder what that felt like to fill their inner fabric to slowly pull apart yeah. until their integrity was no longer intact. And, and because it's 9,000% an integrity issue, in, in my opinion, at least based on what I know, and I don't know everything, and sure. I, I promised in... in uh, one of our episodes that I would tell myself to slow down and make sure I got the information I could but I think like man what did that feel like what did it feel like to know and probably very much shove down and shove aside the feeling of those small rips, yeah. you know, and that, that fabric. I mean, that, like, that, that is like the, perfect. <laughs> yeah. like, there is, you, you could not have picked a better metaphor for that yeah. moment because you can feel like in your own stomach, mm-hmm. that tautness and then the way it would feel to just continue to bring a tent, a tension 
that just increases and pulls and pulls and pulls until it tears and then it rips and it makes me makes me sad yeah in some ways obviously sometimes it's still I I mean it stays very disappointing and it also at times (laughs) makes me feel angry but I'm curious if Galinda were the introspective type if she could walk away from this meeting and name the conflict like fear of a name is to increase fear of a thing itself right and like if you would not just Galinda if my friend had paused and instead of being fearful of that conflict that was building within them instead of running from it stopping to pause and name it and call it what it was which is very hard to do like that is not me saying like oh like if you would have just stopped it's like like telling a depressed person oh just don't be depressed yeah just smile more i didn't fucking think of that you'll feel better (laughs) would that have made a difference and in this case if galinda would stop and put her finger on what doesn't feel right would she end up on a different path maybe she would maybe she wouldn't i don't know I don't remember how the story goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting in the dark here. Yeah. But. No, but it's a good, I mean, I don't think, I think very few of us have always made the right decision. Oh, yeah. In every decision. Made, made lots of wrong life, decisions. Right. Yeah. I think for some of us, we've, we've gone down some pretty dark paths, making some choices. Yeah. One after another that that slow tear mm-hmm. i i think you don't necessarily feel and maybe it is like it's a good point voldemort's soul splitting and it's exponential but like the first tear has to she, hurt you feel yeah she felt this one yeah she felt it and she went what the fuck was that <laughs> and then she kept going yeah and i think the next one gets easier yeah the tear's already there so a uh, you know centimeter more who cares yeah an inch more meh big deal who cares a foot more well it's fine and by the time you get past that you don't even notice it anymore yeah and I think that more of us than would like to admit have made decisions like that in oh, our lives yeah. <laughs> where we've made I've been down some roads that I'm not proud I went down. Quick so. little decision that then turned into a bigger <laughs> one and then the bigger and then the snowball and then it's an avalanche, yeah. you know, and at a certain point you either don't notice it anymore or it's so big you have, it's now, it's now leading you. Yeah. And you don't have the choice to, I mean, or at least it feels that way. Yeah. It feels like you don't have the choice anymore. Now you have to keep going down this path because the fabric has been rent. Yeah. The avalanche has started. There's nothing else that can be done. And then, you know, people end up fucking up their lives in pretty big ways. Yeah. <laughs> because, oh man, I that, yeah, that scene and that imagery was so strong for me too and just thinking about like man what's next what's the next piece that's gonna tear yeah how much integrity do you have to have to be able to lose it piece by piece and at what point have you lost it (laughs) at what point have you lost so much that 
there's no there's no return. Yeah. Um. Well, we did it. I, I think we did. And I think we did it in one episode. I think so. Good job, us. Good job, us. We still have hot seat questions. We though. do. Sometimes we wax poetic. No, let's make them fast. Are you <laughs> ready for my hot seat question? Yes, I am. It's more of an instruction. Write a quill. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought about that. And I was like, no, I can't do that to anybody, let alone myself. Um, it's a 13, 16 uh, line 13 poem. 13 line poem. Yeah. Um, when Galinda is... <laughs> this is going to be funny. <laughs> I love when you start laughing before you've even asked the question. It's like when you laugh at your own joke before you tell mm-hmm. it. Uh, when Galinda is really trying to spin her wheels and work her shit to not be in the dorm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She starts spinning this tell of Ama Clutch's fake condition. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh-huh. if you are going to make up a fake condition to get out of something oh, or into uh-huh, something, uh-huh. what is the fake condition you would, <laughs> you would make up? <sighs> well... <laughs> Can it be based on a real condition? It can be anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be more of a confession than anything, so never mind. Okay, if I had to if I was going to make up a condition to keep to to stop me from having to do something, it gets you out of something. It gets me out of something. Well, first thing it would be it would be getting me out of a speeding ticket. Okay. Cuz that's the only thing I ever get <laughs> in trouble for <laughs> not that it happens you're going often a, you're going above and beyond and giving me the the situation well sure sure um and the condition that i have that keeps me from being able to drive the speed limit is that um boy no i don't know if that's a good choice because they might take my driver's license away <laughs> <laughs> you are unsafe to be on the road you need to stay home maybe that's not what it is i'm just sitting here stressing over the fact that i have no fucking clue what i'm gonna say yeah no this question sucks (laughs) no it doesn't yeah it does you suck i hate you just kidding that's rude could never (laughs) okay this is so gross (laughs) i'm such a disgusting slob my condition would be that I can't physically, my body cannot break down vegetables. <laughs> so I have to only eat like burritos <laughs> and nachos and um, ice cream. That's brilliant. <laughs> if I eat vegetables, it actually makes me sick. Mm. And fat. And if I eat the other things, it actually <laughs> keeps me healthy and uh, fit. What would we call it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a different question. True. <sighs> I'm in no way prepared to answer this. I'm like, what would I want to get out Why of Why have we done this many episodes and neither one of us still has cheated on this? I know. We never think of our questions ahead of time. Because we just aren't ripping that fabric. (laughs) (laughs) It's integrity, man. It's integrity. I hate dressing business casual. Ooh. I hate it. I mean, I 
I am grateful that I don't have to wear a uniform, so I will say it's hands down better than wearing a uniform. But I loathe business casual clothing. Like, I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of girl. Mm-hmm. So while I don't think I could ever necessarily get away with t-shirt and jeans, like I would make up, I would go so far as to like actually buy clothes of a specific material that's really comfortable and say I basically everything that business casual clothing is made of that I have severe allergies to those (laughs) things (laughs) and that Uh um, I would I mean I'd find a fucking phenomenal name for it Mm -hmm. which I don't know what it would be right now off the top of my head but I would fake a severe allergy to any material that I did not want to wear. Brilliant. It would also get me out of being a bridesmaid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Or like literally anything that I'm like, I don't want to wear that. Yeah. Oh, I'm allergic. <laughs> anyway. So okay. I get that. I buy into that. I like that. Thank you. Okay. Are you ready for my hot seat question? I'm ready, ready, ready. Okay. I have a note that says HSQ question mark. <laughs> what was the HSQ though? When Madame Morrible is going to be assigning the girls their dormitories, they're either their, their rooms or their dormitories. Okay. Um, she says, I will assign each of you to one of three, blah, blah, blah. Sleep 15 girls each. There is no social stigma to the dormitory. I might add none at all. But she was lying, and not even convincingly. So, when is a time that someone flat out lied to you, you knew they were lying, and they thought that you were, like, either dumb enough to follow it, or that you didn't realize? Or a time you lied to somebody, and you think they didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to ask, like... What's something that you just flat out cannot lie about? As oh. in, like, your face is going to tell on you every time. <laughs> oh. But hmm, a time I've been lied to, or that I lied. I have a really silly and ridiculous answer from, like, my high school years. Actually, two related to the same subject. Do it. I grew up Catholic, and in the Catholic Church, there was no sex education. It was abstinence. I had two different women, adult women, in my life at different times. When I was between mm, 14 and 16, give me two reasons why girls should not have sex before they are married. (laughs) One was my high school home economics teacher. She told all of the females in our class that if we had sex before we got married, that we would get big butts and... (laughs) At that time, in the 90s, that was not cool, and boys would, no no decent man would ever want to marry us, because we had big butts, because like, we had sex before we were like married. Like, one, every, there's so many things that are wrong with that, <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, right? You think? <laughs> Second one was actually somebody I worked with at the funeral home. She was like an older, I don't think she was even married, lady. And I had a boyfriend at the time. 
I had just met him and she was trying to be motherly and tell me, and I wasn't planning, I, like we had just started dating, but she told me that I should not have sex with him because sex is stinky. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That was her reason. <laughs> not convincing, first of all. Second of all, that's it. That's uh, all you got. <laughs> you don't have any better reasons? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the one, huh? Yep. Okay. I don't know what these <laughs> ladies were thinking, but they did not do me any good. <laughs> I completely <laughs> knew they were full of shit, and I did what I wanted. <laughs> the end. And do you have a big butt now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> <laughs> too hard <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying i'm trying i'm sorry I, these okay. hot seat questions are a lot harder in these um so with this specific lie like i think this person told this lie enough to actually believe it themselves but i dated i've always just we've called them bane because for a long time <laughs> considered them the bane of my existence uh-huh. and so would talk out of their fucking ass about being like having celiacs. Oh. And like to a point of saying that they were on FMLA for it and all of this like big, huge thing. And like one of those things where like you go on and on about it so much that like every time you talk about it all of the rest of us are like oh my god they're fucking telling this story again but the funny thing is is like she would always like eat the most insane amount of gluten (laughs) 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 and it was so um she's carrying this on to the point where like she says she's on fmla paper or on FMLA for it. And so, like, I mean, you have to prove shit when you do that. Right. And so she asks me to go to the doctor with her one day because she's made an appointment to see what all's going on, even though she has told us all along that she's got celiacs. And so she gets, you know, the different tests and things like that. And she's one of those, like, scourge of the earth, um speakerphone talkers oh god and so (laughs) i just lost so much respect for you You (laughs) dated a speakerphone talker i ended it too (sighs) um but i was there when she got the results that they were like it was inconclusive it didn't say you had (laughs) silly and she's Still, oh yeah. She after did. that, would just double down and be like, "Oh, I can't go in today. Like my celiac is really acting up. Mm-hmm. Like wasn't on fucking FMLA paperwork. Was like a hair away from being fired for absences. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, just like <laughs> ended up being one of those people. It's like how do how do we know you're lying because your lips are moving? Oh yeah, kind of people. But just like when she would start to tell stories, like those of us around her would totally do that. Thing where we all just make eye contact and like <laughs> oh, here she goes like, again god damn it here we go <laughs> but I think even she believed her bullshit but yeah. it was like you know we all know you're lying just so you know okay <laughs> yeah but yeah 
That's the sad thing. I think a lot of people that like consistently lie about stuff, they do truly believe they're bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Even when everyone around them is like, uh-uh, that's not true. That's not how it happened. <laughs> All right. Uh, Well, you guys know social media is Instagram, Filtered Through Fiction. Find everything you need to know there. Hop on and answer hot seat questions. Any of them. We don't don't care which ones. We will read them. Yeah. Uh, They don't have to be new questions. We will read any new answers. And yeah, as always, thanks for listening. And until next time, fresh dreams. Bye. Bye.